All right, guys, it is that time. So we are at Flip with Rick. My name is Rick Inn. I am the Rick in Flip with Rick. And we are talking about tired landlords today. And <laughs> forgot my mic here. I consider myself an expert on this because I've spent a majority of my wholesaling career focusing on getting tired landlords. And I know you guys hear the terminology all the time, tired landlord, and nobody ever really explains it. So what we want to do is take this live and explain the mechanics of a tired landlord. What actually makes them a tired landlord? Because nobody talks about it. And then I want to go into deep dive on how to locate these deals. I'm going to show you free ways and I'm going to show you a paid way, simple pay, not, not guru pay, regular stuff. And then we're going to go on and show you how to wholesale these deals. So it's really straightforward. And then after we do our teaching moment, you guys have the opportunity to do the lives, the one-on-ones. I try to do it on a first come first serve basis. You do not have to be on video. It's not a requirement. I don't care. And, um, <laughs> so some people tell me they're tired landlords already. So, um, that's it guys. So we're talking all about tired landlords. So I love this topic because we are going into 2023 and you're going to find a lot of tired landlords. Um, the one thing you have to understand tired landlords, they are always there. They don't stop. So if you guys understand it, do me a favor. You have the comment section. This is a place where you can interact with like-minded people. Make sure you vet them before you do business with them. I know most of the people, but I don't know everybody because it's hard to get to know everybody. So use the comments. If you have a question, put a comments in there, introduce what market you're from. That helps people. So if you see somebody in a market that you're doing virtual or something, maybe you guys can pair up and help each other out. I think that's awesome. But once again, make sure you keep it business-like, even if you become friends with them. So I'm friends with a lot of you on here, and that's why I love doing this. I'm trying to create a legacy and help as many people as humanly possible. So use the comment section. If you want to do the lives, go over to Wholesaling Houses for Real in our Facebook group. And in there, there will be a link. You just click on that, and that will automatically bring you to here. So if you're not registered there, go through that process. So the next time you come on, you can do it. And I love to do the interactions. Bring me your problems. Let's find solutions for them. I don't get on here and cry because all I can do is give you a tissue if you cry. I, that's all I got. So you guys are piling in. So that is awesome. And let's see here. So I don't know about you, man, but it's Friday and Friday is no different to Monday to me. And that's what I'm trying to teach you guys. Um, we only have a limited amount of time on this earth and I want you guys to take advantage of it. So Let's talk about wholesaling. I honestly think wholesaling is the greatest opportunity of 2023. All these other side hustles, I'm just telling you, they're going to be a distraction for you. You have to decide what you want to do. You got to have fun with your life. You got to know what you're doing and you got to have fun with wholesaling. You guys know where we're going. Let's do it. Fuck out of bed, bitch, go. Get up, get up, and they got go. Gotta wake up, gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up, get up. 
that's what I'm talking about. So uh, if you guys don't know me, um, I have a high energy level. Um, I'm a full, fully admitted ADHD person. And if you can relate with that type of personality, then you are in the right place. So wholesaling fits me perfectly because I love what I do and it's just fun. And I did it to get freedom of uh, the corporate prison I was in. If you guys can relate, put a comment in the section because I spent 12 years in that prison. And uh, it, But if you're looking to get out and wholesaling has excited to you, this is the right place to be. So today we're talking all about tired landlords, how to find them, how to deal with them, what are they, and how can I wholesale those deals. So I'm going to jump into it. So if you want to do the live, just get in line. If you have a question, especially in regards to wholesaling with tired landlords, that's great. But anything, I'll open it up to anything in wholesaling in general. And guys, if you want to ask me something, just ask it. I am right here. So let's get into it. Let's talk about it. So we're talking about tired landlords. So for you to understand and relate what it is, you have to understand what you have to think like a tired landlord. So somebody posted in here, he says, Hey, I'm a tired landlord. I want to like, get rid of it. I'm going to give you a full disclosure. You ready for this? I once too was a former tired landlord. And what happens is I call it the tired landlord syndrome. It is actually a syndrome. Um, it is kind of a sickness and if you get infected with it, it's a lot like the flu. So I know a lot of you got like uh, like fly, fighting stuff like this. But what happens is a person has a vision. They go, well, I'm going to collect as many rental properties as humanly possible. So full disclosure, when I started out in real estate investing, I was taught a plan where I was going to buy 10 homes, use the bank financing, and let the tenants just pay them off. It was that easy. And I'm telling you a large percentage of investment properties across the entire country, if not the world, use this theory. Why? It's a theory. It sounds perfect in theory. The challenge is you have the human element in it. So a lot of people are used to stocks, right? When a stock goes up, it's exciting, but it can go down just as fast. And for that reason, if you want to sell a stock, you just push a button. You're done. You don't have to maintain the stock. You just have to keep making decisions. Do I want to keep it? Is this good for my portfolio or not? And stocks are easy. And then people look at the returns on real estate. Oh, my God, like it, it appreciates. I get depreciation. And so sometimes people go, well, let's buy some real estate. We go to realtor. I want an investment property. Great. I'm going to make a 10, 12% return on it. Phenomenal. And then you get to deal with tenants. Okay. Tenants. Uh, listen, let me know in the comments, man. Any of you guys own property out there or you've rented? Hey, how about you people currently renting properties from a night nightmare um, landlord? And by the way, the landlords are just as bad as the tenants, if not worse, in my opinion. Ask me how I know this. So it's, it's a real challenge. And what happens is this conflict happens. You have humans. Some people that this is going to hurt. I'm just going to tell you the truth. The reality of the tired landlord and the tired landlord syndrome is you have people buying real estate that have no idea how it works. And to save money, they go, I'll manage this property. How hard can it be? And they're going to get a rude wake up call. 
And what happened? I've done this, guys. So I own around I own 30 properties at one time in the city of Port St. Lucie. Now, this is a while back. This was my plan. Um, so I had that perfect plan. I was just gonna buy 10, but I figured out wholesaling and I I tripled that quickly. And then I had an insurance crisis. Uh, suddenly, I couldn't get the homes insured in Florida. The banks tried to force um, insurance on me, which was basically five times the uh, market rate. Then I got hit with two hurricanes. And then I got hit with a market crash. So I guess I got school. I, no, no guru told me about all these things that could happen. I was just, hey, you're going to make a ton of money. And that's how you get the tired land or, uh, landlord tired landlord syndrome. I've also been sued multiple times by tenants for the most ridiculous claims you can ever possibly imagine. I, I'm not even going to go into detail. And guys, let me know in the comments is tenants can sue you almost for anything. Oh no, no, my lease protects me. Anybody in America can file a lawsuit against you and you get these ridiculous claims and then most of the lawsuits, the aim is to have the tenant sit in there rent-free as long as possible. They know they're never going to win. And nine times out of 10, they file these lawsuits on their own. They don't even hire an attorney. So other than court fees, it doesn't cost them anything. And what happens is there is a accumulation of frustration. Now, let's talk about, I'm just going to minutes the, the, the pandemic that happened. Do you think there's tired landlords now out there? I mean, it's, there's people out there that didn't get paid for over two years. And there's still people to this date that have tenants sitting in properties and not paying a dime. And for this reason, I'm not a big fan of single family home rental houses. I think there's easier ways to make money in my opinion. And the last but not least, what happens when a tenant gets fed up with the landlord or they're tired or they're pissed off with everything, they will take it out on the house. I've seen them flush cement bags down the toilet. You want to talk about destruction. I've personally had um, all the kitchen cabinets taken out with a sledgehammer on me. I've had my air condition stolen. I've had a, uh, a house turning into illegal activities. And I found out the hard way on the front page of a newspaper. I've had it all happen to me. And the thing is, I even hired a property management company to help me manage all my properties. And then I had to learn how to manage the property managers that which took me about a year to figure that out. And in the end, guess what I did, guys? I got tired of it, man. I got tired of the landlord syndrome. I've had people try to sublease houses out on me. You have to pay attention to your asset. You have to constantly manage it. If you're going to show up to it once or twice a year, you're going to get the shock of your life. So this is my personal experience. It's not for everyone, but... I know how people become tired landlords. It is a true phenomenon. It's not made up. And I became a tired landlord. And then I just started liquidating my properties. And I got to tell you, I sold a lot of them to wholesalers because the properties got trashed. They got run down. I had leaks in the roofs and I didn't have a choice. And I just wanted to get rid of them. And but why? I had a ton of banknotes. I over leveraged myself. And I did stuff the wrong way when I started out. That's how I got into wholesaling, by the way. I got the tired landlord syndrome. I go, this is ridiculous. All I have to do is find rundown houses, put them under contract, and find wealthy people just to buy them from me. That's all I got. If I do that over and over, I know it's a job and I'm okay with it. But I will tell you, the uh, I'm going to get rich quick by buying a bunch of rentals and falling asleep. 
it doesn't work. And I, my honest opinion, if going forward, if I want to have 30 or 50 units, go buy one apartment complex. It's much more effective. And honestly, even if you have to pay more, it's worth it. And that's why if you want to get rich, like doing the landlord thing, just be advised. If you bought 30 houses, you got 30 roofs, you probably got about 60, 65 bathrooms, whatever it is, 70 bathrooms. You've got 70 different, like it's the amount of people in it. And then you have to drive around all on them. You got 30 different roofs and there is no economies of scale. So just think about it if you guys are looking to do that. So we're talking about tired landlords. I've already told you I'm an admitted tired landlord. And uh, I got one right here. I would love if you want to hop on and tell us how it works. Now, it's the, the problem is the problem is not the real estate guys. It's the people. And I love people, but I mean, there's a big majority of people out there that just don't care. And I've always noticed tenants always start out perfect for me. Oh my God, I would do anything to get this property. And um, so here's, here's rule number one. If you're just starting out being a landlord and you're not doing it 30 years like the contractor's wife here is don't ever tell them you're the owner. That was probably my biggest mistake in the beginning. Just tell them you're managing the property for the owner, whatever it is, because the minute they know you own the property, they're going to come after you. Like they're going to get whatever they want. So you have to be tough. I'm a really nice guy. I like people. And I was just too nice to them. And if you're too nice to tenants, I guarantee you'll become a tired landlord. So you have to have some real guts to tell people the truth. And listen, if you don't pay like this, it's not that I don't want to evict anyone. I don't want people out on the street. But the reality of this business is I have to pay for my property and you need to pay your fair share. And if you don't, then you have to move on and give someone else the opportunity. And it's a nightmare. Evictions cost a lot of money. There's um, vacancies are terrible. The repairs are terrible. Honestly, if you don't do a contracting business, um, if you're going to be a landlord, you're, you're going to have some real challenges. So that's it. We deal with hurricanes. We deal with everything else. Tired landlords mostly come tired because of tenants. And then just on the flip side, there's a lot of bad landlords and you guys see them out there when you're out doing your wholesaling deals. They're the ones with the, like, I don't know how it became a hoarder house, right? Are you kidding me? Look at the house. This took 10 years to get like this. And for that reason, now full disclosure, I still own some single family homes for rentals. I've had some winners that just, I've had the same tenants and God bless them. But when I find a good tenant and a good property, I just leave it alone. I let a manager manage it. And that's it. End of story. But as you do more and more properties, you are going to have to deal with people and their problems. Now, sometimes the tenant's perfect and they get a roommate that moves in there. And then that's where you get a lot of the problems. So um, someone says they've been a landowner here for 91 years. I find that that's a big number, but congrats if you have. So um, so that's the definition. So let's keep moving on. I know you guys are interested in the list. So let's talk about how to get the free list first, right? Because that's what you all want, okay? So in my opinion, the easiest place to find a, a landlord, and I'm talking about active landlords, is simply find four rent ads. So you don't have to go far to find them. So people that are advertising properties for rent, they typically own more than one, in my opinion. So occasionally there's one, and it's okay. I like to buy properties from one landlord 
because if they're like a really nice person and they like, oh, no, don't worry about the rent this month, they'll eventually be a tired landlord anyways. Or you'll find somebody who's got a lot of properties um, and they're constantly running for rent ads. So if they're running one rent ad, they'll probably have multiple others. And that is a good source. Now, you can find them online on Facebook Marketplace. Craigslist is absolutely endless. And by the way, realtors do manage rental properties and they are a good source too but they're a little bit of a pain in the butt to work with to find out these tired landlords. So that is my first one. My next one, you ready? The eviction list. Honestly, this is probably the most golden opportunity going on in my opinion right now. So I love the eviction list. So it's simply you go down to your county courthouse or you get it online. The key with the eviction list, you ready for this? Speed. The day that eviction hits, you want to get in contact with that owner. Now, a lot of times in the state of Florida, the owners actually put their name on the complaint with their phone number. And I know that I, I believe Michigan does it as well. There's multiple other states you guys have shared with me. And if you can do that, why I like the eviction list is because they freshly evicted somebody out. And that usually means the property is probably in rough shape. So an eviction list means they filed a legal action to remove the tenant. That means the tenant's still on the property. That means the property's in rough shape. That means there's no cash flow. And that, to you and me, means complete opportunity, high motivation, high potential for a tired landlord syndrome. And for this reason, I love the list. Also, hopefully you don't have to skip trace it. Now, there are, if it's owned, the property's owned by an LLC, then they have to have a lawyer file this paperwork. And sometimes you don't get the phone number. But a lot of landlords just own it in their name. And they, they love filing the eviction themselves because they're trying to save money. And by the way, when they start doing that, they definitely become more of a tired landlord because tenants are tricky on filing legal maneuvers. Now, I'm lucky in the state of Florida, we can evict them fast. So you've got to know your laws and your current state on how evictions work. I know California is somewhat of a nightmare. New York's a nightmare. Guys, share the information in here because the problem is every state has different laws. So in the state of Florida, the reality is you can get somebody out of a property if you have a valid claim within 30 days or less. End of story. So I'm not going to go through how evictions work because we're just going to waste time on it. I want to focus on how you can be successful as a wholesaler doing it. So the eviction list is super strong. It's easy to get and it's filed like every week it's updated. Uh, I used to go into my courthouse and they were posted on the bulletin board and I would take it off. The uh, one of the clerks would make a copy for me, and that's how I started doing them. And I just go through and call it. You call now. I'm going to go through on how to talk to these people because there are some issues on calling on these, and you got to be aware of them. So the uh, the eviction list is powerful, and we still use this in our business. Um, okay. All right. Bye-bye, Rami. You, you, I keep commenting like we're not stupid. So so we, uh, we have the eviction list. Let me take that off there. So we've talked about how to, how to do the rent ads. So here's the next free one. And I've talked about this in other videos. I don't know why it's not shared more. <laughs> Your garage sale list. So wait a minute, Rick. I don't want to get in the junk business. I, I hate garage sales. I don't want to spend my Saturday driving around doing that. I get it. But 
I came up with a technique years ago. I, it, I'm not the only person that does this. Basically, there's a correlation when properties get put up, uh, when properties get sold to wholesalers, a lot of times there's a garage sale um, associated with it. And what we did is we correlated the two. And from that is we came up with a garage sale list. So you simply go and find all the garage sales in the neighborhoods you are canvassing, marketing to, and you get a list. So in the old days, we used to have to go through the newspaper, used to do signs, but now on Facebook, Craigslist, all the social media, you can even get them from your cities and counties because now they try to regulate and you have to pay for permits to do it. You get a garage sale list. Now you take the garage sale list and you cross verify, cross examine it to the property appraisers. You find out who the owner is and you need to find out if they are a landlord. How do you do that? They're typically going to have a different mailing address. Think about that. If they have a different mailing address in their garage sale list, that means a tenant is hosting a garage sale and they're probably going to be moving out very quickly. Now, all you need to do is go over to truepeoplesearch.com, get the owner's phone number and call them and go, hey, listen, I wanted to find out a little bit more about your garage sale. Now, why do I say call them about a garage sale? Here's why. If you surprise them with the garage sale, you just did them a huge favor and it gives you a rapport building block and gives you a competitive advantage over anybody else. A lot of times people do garage sales because they're getting ready to move out quick. If the landlord is not aware of it, they get agitated and they're like, oh, my. so I can tell you uh, there is a feeling when a tenant calls you or you drive by a property. If a tenant calls you and go, hey, I'm moving out after three years, just like if they're a good tenant, it's painful because it's like now I got to clean the property up. I got to market it and uh, I'm going to have some vacancy now. If I call you, imagine driving by your rental house and seeing a garage sale with all the crap outside out front. Some of your like stuff that belongs to the house, you'd be pissed. So when you call them, like, why would they be having a garage sale? I go, listen, if you have interest in selling the property, they go, I tell you what, let me call you right back. And they call the tenant. The tenant doesn't answer the phone. The voicemail's full. He's got, he or she's got going on what we call a midnight move out. And a midnight move out just means the tenant's getting the heck out of there. They're typically going to leave the property in very rough shape. They're obviously not going to pay any more um, rent. They're probably back owed on the rent. And by using this technique, it gives you a huge competitive advantage. And then you go in your regular qualifying, your MCTP, to find out if they're interested. Take a look at the property and see if you can put a deal together. Why does this work? It works, man. And December is the one of the biggest months we have the, uh, the midnight moves. Years wrapping up. Owners say, listen, we got to get this property rented. I got to get the person out of there. So look at the garage sale list. It works. Now, you want to avoid the people that have perpetual garage sales. They're not going to work. If they post a garage sale every weekend, get them off your list. They're running a business out of their house, so we don't want to deal with it. Now, I'm going to give you a... Uh, the next one is going to be the paid version. So if you guys go over to listrei.com, I'm going to walk you through how to pull it up if you don't want to do any of these other techniques. And guys, listen, when I say paid version, I'm not talking about coaching, mentoring, any of this stuff. It is simply a software service we use in our business, just like a lot of you guys do. It's, it's, it's less than 100 bucks a month. You get a seven-day free trial with it. And the really cool part is you get this information. It is much cheaper to employ, and you can pull 10,000 of these every month. Whatever you want to do, you can do it virtually. You can do it locally. But 
what you really need to understand, I see you guys asking the question is, Rick, what filters do I need in PropStream to make this work? So why don't we just go ahead and pull up PropStream and show you how it works. So let me check here, figure out how to do this. Um, okay, I got to share my screen. See, this technology stuff, man, the act just kills me on this. Okay, hold on, I had it here. Okay, so we got PropStream up here. Um, and then what you want to do is pull up, let's just, I'm just going to put in Las Vegas. God, I wish we had mountains in Florida. So um, I want to make sure you guys can see this and look at it. Okay, awesome. So if you go to filters, I could do a video on every one of these. It's it's. I just love what Prop Streams doing on some of their advanced fil, uh, filters. So if you go down to Tired Landlords, the guys, I I can't make it any simpler than this. You click Tired Landlords. Now Tired Landlords, if you see, we have seventy five thousand. I don't want you guys calling seventy five thousand people. So what you have to do is add on. Um, the additional filters to make this work. So what I want to do is you can go through this and I'm going to give you some basic tips and tricks so you can limit this down. Obviously, 75,000 is a little hot. So you're thinking, what, what does PropStream pull this information on? I got to be honest with you, I don't even know the exact ones. Zach knows a little bit better because he spends a lot of time with them, but they are queuing a lot of information and they basically come up with an algorithm. It has to do with their mailing address, the number of years they own. Sometimes it's about qualifying their age and the length of uh, ownership and the amount of equity. So it's kind of a, like a broad net, but you need to specify and get into it. So if you want to get into it and do more detail, um, the first thing I like to do is just make sure um, they're off market. So meaning they're not for sale. And guys, this is my personal preference, but you can play around with it and watch your filters. So watch when I, every time I do a filter, the number should go down. Now, a lot of those things go down. That makes sense because they're landlords. And why would it be open for sale on the market? And then the next thing you can do is you go to the next tab. I, you don't need pre foreclosure bank on that one makes sense. Um, you go down to ownership information and you can simply set. I find that most landlords become tire landlords usually after year four. So I'm not sure how this conflicts with the information on there, but I'm going to put the minimum years ownership as five and watch what happens to the. Well, I got to rerun this, I believe. Let's see if we do it to 10. So you see how the number goes down? You guys can kind of pick the number one you want to do, but I wouldn't do anything less than five years. I just, I look at the data of the houses I buy, they usually own them five years or more. That's when they're typically going to get the tired um, landlord syndrome. So sometimes I do as low as four in certain markets of virtual markets to do But once again, you just got to do this by trial and error. And by the way, guys, it doesn't cost you anything to search the numbers. So search the numbers. 
And then when you see this change, you can adjust it. So now we got it down to a more reasonable number. And then the other one you can do is equity, which I love to do. Uh, let's see. Which if you go down, so you can get like, don't get overly specific. So the other one to do, if you want to do like the minimum amount of properties they own. So I'm going to talk to you about the amount of properties they own, because the more properties they own, you think it's more opportunity. And I'm going to show you why sometimes that's a huge disadvantage for a wholesaler, but I'm not going to change it. Absentee owner doesn't matter because obviously they are, I wouldn't touch anything. And then if you go under valuation, <clears throat> um, so if you like, listen, I don't want any properties over. So sometimes you can understand some of these are multifamily. So if you limit some of these numbers, but let's just say, you know, nothing over $650,000 because sometimes you got duplexes, triplexes. Oops. Um, and quadplexes. So that takes it down to 26,000. Once again, this is market specific. So you got to get in your market. Most of these properties are going to be single family homes and maybe a duplex, occasionally triplexes and fourplexes show up on this, but like find out what your average median price is. So if you're renting single family homes and then say it was um, $255,000 and that's your median price, you want to stay at or below and that's your target because you're trying to wholesale them, then that cuts you down to 4,181. And then if you want to go down, the last filter you can do is the equity filter. And what I like to do is simply the estimated equity is the easiest way to do it. So I want you to understand this. Equity is between zero and a hundred percent. That's it. It's zero means they borrowed all the money. They have no equity in it. And if they have a hundred percent equity, it means they own it clear and free and they can sell it for cash. So what would be a good mix to find a landlord who's going to leave a ton of money in something and has a lot of equity and they're tired? So typically they're going to own these properties five years or longer. And so the equity is usually, in my opinion, is going to be close to 50% or higher. Now I've gone as low as 40%, but I'll go down the four years. So what I want you to do is play around with these numbers. So if I do 40 then the max would be 100. That cuts me down to 38.90. If I go to 45, the wheel's spinning. It's thinking. 38.60. I like to do 50. 50 is like, I, I never have a problem when I do 50. Or maybe you do 55. So that means um, they owe a very, you know, they have a much, much smaller mortgage. And see what happens when I go to 55. And you can go all the way up. Some people like to target just free and clear. But some of these people do have some small mortgages on them. And then you can go through and you guys know how to extract the list. I love doing this. Now, let's see. Bah, 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 bah. Ownership information. There is a technique. Let me see if it's on here. Let's see if unsale, unknown sale dates. Let's see what it does to the Vegas market. That's Last sale date, years of ownership, um, and then types of owners. I just leave it to all because I like some of them are LCCs. Some are LLCs, some are trust. A lot are owned by individuals. Some are mixed. So like I don't even touch that. So it's... Um, 
So the last thing I want to talk to you about is you see this one where it says number of properties owned. So watch if I say, listen, <clears throat> if they own, um, say, five or more, let's see what happens to the number. It goes way down. Okay. And then if I go, if they own 10 or more, let's see what happens to the number. We start to get below a thousand. And the reason why this is important, let me, let me get my mugshot back on here and why you want to understand this. The reason why you want to understand the number of owners, in my experience, as a newer wholesaler, somebody's just getting started out in their first couple of years, we have a distinct disadvantage because we don't have the experience. So the easiest way to overcome your experience is number one, take a ton of action. Just go, 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 go. This isn't school. We're not going to teach you theory and then figure out how to do it. And number two is you have to, you have to have some sort of, um, you have to understand that some people have a competitive advantage over you. They have more experience than you. So I don't want to spend time negotiating with a professional investor. So, Somebody owns 10 or more plus properties in my experience and my 20 plus years of doing wholesaling is they tend to eat your time alive. So here's what they'll do. They're going to, they trick you. I swear they do this. And you guys got to understand this method. They will go out and say, um, Rick, I'm interested in your offer. I want to talk to you. Can you put it in writing? Can you come out and look at the property? This is what we need to do. Da, 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 da. And I'm just like, I get excited. And you guys tell me this all the time because I know this happened to me. And I recognize the huge pattern here. When you have somebody that's owned properties for a long time, and you guys can admit this, if you, you are a tired landlord or you own, not even a tired landlord, you own a crap load of properties, is you eventually get approached by someone like me, a wholesaler. And after a time, you get, you get what we call tired uh, wholesale syndrome. So you get tired of wholesalers constantly calling you because that's what we do and you play with them. And so let me ask you, what does like a cat do with a mouse? You think they would just kill it and eat it. For the most part, they just playing with it. So landlords that have a ton of experience, 10, 20, 30 years over you, they play with you and they will use you like a wet rag and they're really good about it and they know exactly what they're doing. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. I've had this personally happen to me so many times. I just stopped doing it because just decide, do you want to be the cat or you want to be the mouse? So to protect yourself in dealing with these types of landlords, number one, they will never do a deal with you. Very, very rarely. They have a plan and you are not part of it. How do I know this? I get it all the time. So if you have the opportunity, someone owns 10 properties. Your gut instinct is to make an offer on all of them, do all this stuff, and you waste a ton of time. If you have someone with a lot of properties, simply ask them is, give me your most tired week property and just see if you can get an offer on that. If you can make the numbers work on one, you might be able to get the whole thing to work. But what most of you do is try to attack all the properties. You give them valuations. You take pictures. You spend tons of time. You do spreadsheets for analysis. Weeks go by, months go by, and then they just laugh at you at the end. And you waste tons of energy. I've done this. So here's what you do. If somebody has multiple properties, think like the, the story of how do you take down an elephant? And it's really like one bite at a time. Like it's so big and massive. And by the way, elephants eat uh, peanuts and stuff like that. It's just one little. So if somebody gives you even five or four properties, 
pick the most tired, vacant, beat up property and see if you can get a deal. That will allow you to see what their temperament is, see if there's motivation. And then you can also see what they play with on the numbers. And the most important part is you can get rapport and trying to get rapport on like, okay, uh, just give me 800,000 for all the houses. Like your mind's like, whoa, how the heck am I going to do that? So what you do is just try to take one bite morsel and see if it's going to work. And if it does, you, you got a good shot at the rest. Odds are it won't. And you save a lot of time and energy. You guys struggle doing one comp. Imagine doing 10. And that's the problem. If the motivation's not there, you're literally going to waste your time. And most of these people that have 10 plus properties, they are like, they want above retail when they go to sell it. And most of the properties are run down. They stink. And it's going to take a lot. They're going to need a rehabber. And they don't want you making any money between. So that's fine. We just kind of move on. So here's how, here's the final part of this. Here is how you protect yourself on this. You ready? If a tired, if a landlord in general owns four or more properties and they've owned them a long time, your odds of success are much lower, especially as a brand new wholesaler. I'm not saying you can't do a deal. And my suggestion, if you have this type of owner that comes up, so you don't waste your time, you don't do endless comps, ask them for the most tired, weak, vacant piece of junk property. And you put an offer together based on that. And I would, you still use the go for no method. And see if it bites. That way, see if see if the fish are biting in the water before you put out all your lines and all your efforts and resources. And this technique alone. Now, some people do a little bit more, but I find when they own four or more, they're usually a much more sophisticated investor. They're usually very experienced and they eat brand new wholesalers alive. I want to let you guys know about the pitfalls because I thought I was losing my mind. I got so excited about 10 times. And guess what? All 10 times they failed. So moving forward after 20 years, I know exactly how to deal with these people. But I will tell you, it takes a lot of craft. It takes a ton of negotiating. And honestly, it takes a psychologist to get in their heads to find out when they're going to sell. Um, they didn't get that way by like, they're just stubborn. And they have a set way. And if you don't meet their way, they don't want to do it. And they like to sell everything like with a realtor or full retail. It's just the honest, the truth. So you have to find the motivation and the opportunity. If you use on your filters, the four owners plus, and meaning if they own four or more properties, I'm removing them from my list. And it's a small majority. But if you do not want to tackle this problem, I'm just telling you, by the way, when they're on the list, more than half of them will call you back or more than half of them will go. Yeah. And they get you really excited. And I don't want them it's not about getting your hopes up. I've already told you, you have to learn the art of detachment in real estate and especially wholesaling. When a landlord owns four or more properties and you're marketing them, they will play with you like a mouse, especially if you're inexperienced. It's okay being inexperienced. We all started from somewhere. I had to learn from scratch just like you guys. And the purpose of me doing these live streams is to save you the pain and agony I have gone through I thought I was losing my mind when I started wholesaling and I had experienced every one of these raw without. And by the way, I, I had a bunch of paid coaches. They didn't warn me about any of this stuff. All I got, the reality is most coaching programs sell you the theory, which is derived from marketing. What's going to sell the most to solve a problem. And then you get the practicality and it's net very rarely are they the same. And that's why I do this flip with Rick channel to help you guys 
um, avoid all this stuff. So that's kind of it on my um, presentation. Let me kind of go through the comments and then we're going to jump in on the lives with it. So hopefully you guys tell me tired landlord syndrome is for real and tired landlord syndrome is much more pronounced. So you know how like the flu has a season, right? So the seasons of flu is usually from winter until spring comes, right? Kind of ironic, right? It gets dark. Um, those of you that get, uh, you know, in daylight savings and it's psychologically, I think people just get sicker. It's colder. It's darker. It's kind of a harder time. They always say going in the winter and then magically we all get better. It's, it's just crazy. We eat like crap during the holidays and like we get the flu. I get, you know, the flu is a virus. It is what it is. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I've gotten it before. I hate it. But why do we get it more in the wintertime than we do the summer? I have no idea. If somebody has an explanation, please let me know. Because I, viruses do not know what season something is. So maybe we're all congregated closer together. I don't know what it is. But tired land George syndrome comes out in down markets. What are we going into now? A downward market. Tired landlords don't really, they always exist but they're less prominent in a very um, robust real estate market. So the reason why I'm tying this all in is understanding we're going into the softer part of the market for the unforeseeable future, which I've shot an entire video that you can check out on um, my YouTube channel, Rick, uh, Rick Ginn, and I put it all on there. It's, it's content. So you guys that want to like gravitate towards just me and, and some of my wisdom, you can do it there, but I share it with you here anyways. It doesn't matter. I'm here to tell you, you have to understand the tired landlord syndrome and it is coming on us. So not only are we going in the winter, we're going in the coldest part of the season. Interest rates are smoking. Uh, inflation's out of control. Real estate prices are reducing, like falling rapidly. Inventory shooting through the roof. Cash buyers are all gone and hit under a rock. You're going to see. Um, and then guys, rents are going to pull back. Like it's rents are a side effect of what's going on with the real estate market and people and costs are out of control In, uh, inflation has driven up the cost of insurance. Um, try to get a roof on a house. It just takes so much more money and time. So costs have gone up higher. Rents are going down and the market prices are dropping. A lot of people say, Hey, this is, this is ridiculous. So I want you to understand that and go from there. So let me answer some of your questions on the chats here and then let's jump into um so ryan says listen when i do reverse driving for dollars what do i put on the sticky note that's easy so you want to put a simple message that invokes a person to reach out and contact you so if you say i want to buy your house call me at so and so you might as well just take that sticky note and put it straight in the garbage because it's not going to work how do i know this tested it out what you have to do is put a note on that it seems like a friend or someone is you know wants to get in contact with you so how do i do that hey i got a quick question about your house give me a call rick and put a personal phone number on there now hopefully it's a virtual phone number don't use your personal cell phone number and if they have an interest, they'll call you back. What happens is you're invoking the act of curiosity. So, so many people have this tendency is whenever they do, they, they do it on a postcard, they do it on a letter, they do it on door hangers, and they do it on little notes. You put too much information on it. Now, guys, give me full disclosure. When you guys get a text and someone sends you three paragraphs, other than like a direct family member, 
I just, I don't have, if you can't sum up a text quickly, please don't text it to me. It means you're giving me way too much drama, which that's 90% of the time, or you just don't know how to get to the point. Either way, it's the same thing with a note. You've got about a three second window when they read it. Most people scan the first sentence and the last, and that's it. And honestly, I do a lot of, I have to go through a lot of information. I pay people to help me sort through information, but on my personal phone, when someone texts me like more than three sentences, odds are I'm not going to read it. I just, this, that's not how you do it. So I love the fact that like Twitter had it right. They try to limit the amount of characters you can put in there. I wish texting would do the same thing. I don't need a monologue every time. It means you're overly dramatic and, or you don't know how to get to the point. So take note with your sticky notes. If you put on there everything you do, what's the purpose of them calling you? I use the same technique in postcards. And if you guys learn how to do that, you'll understand how the business works. Whenever you put out a piece of marketing that is going to be an inbound piece of marketing, where they reach out and contact you, you have to give them a reason to. You have to give them a legal and ethical reason to call you. And if you tell them everything you do, why call it? You have to leave a little mystery in what you do. Is it a little tricky what we're doing? No, but like I do, I got a question about your house. And when they call you, you just go through your qualifications, you build rapport, and that's how you do it. So um, that should work just fine for you. Um, so Kitty's talking about uh, she has a ton of leads and it's becoming overwhelming um, using true people search. And I agree because it's free. There's a catch sometimes when you do certain things for free is you have a limitation of time. So check out over at zackdata.com and see if you can use the service as a batch. You collect it all at once. It's going to cost you a little bit more money, but I got to be honest with you, it's going to save you a ton of time. And if you look at what it costs you a VA or a regular employee to do this, it will save you a ton of money. So just check it out. I get it, Kita. I've been in your exact shoes. You got to understand back when I skipped trades, it was up to $1.50 per lead. And now we're all complaining about like pennies, like it's crazy type of cheap. So um, just look into your options and don't get frustrated because remember, getting the phone number is the most direct source you can get to a motivated teller in my opinion. It's cheaper than most other sources and you can get immediate results. So I feel you on that. Okay. What's up, Taylor? I appreciate it. Um, require. So Saeed's correct on the door-to-door uh, -the -door thing. So like in uh, one, the, the main city I market, I, I started out doing door-to-door. -door. Like that, I just... Sometimes you just dive into it. And um, the reason I did the original door to door is because uh, that's the only lead to, I, I would go get the uh, pre foreclosures and that's it. I couldn't afford anything else. Plus I was on limited time. I would do it on Saturdays and then after work, which was a real challenge for me at the time. Guys, I was 33, 34 when I was doing this. So understanding that now they've passed ordinances that you actually have to be uh, registered. You got to get a permit to do all that. And uh, I grew up in an era where like door-to-door vacuum people would come and sit on your couch with your parents or they'd sell a, like a settlement encyclopedia. I know I'm dating and aging myself, but that's the environment I grew up in. We're in a different world now, guys. So I, even if you didn't have the ordinances against it, that's why reverse um, driving for dollars is so effective because it takes away that edge of like the door. The biggest obstacle of door-to-door, -door, you ready for, you know what it is? It's that dang ring camera. 
So if you guys have a ring, everybody has a ring camera. They ain't opening the door unless they know you. So that's why I really like reverse driving for dollars. And it saves you a lot of like the current, um, the current dilemma we have in modern society these days. So, um, let's see here. Okay. So let's jump over to lives. And I am going to reward the first people that come on because I believe in that. So what's up, Ian? How you doing? Ian, oh, you wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't expect to get called on. That's right. I was man. just kind of listening. So, yeah, I'm down in the keys. I talked to you guys a few months ago and uh, just uh, getting things rolling again. What part of the keys you in? Um, I'm up at a uh, Tavernier area. Ah, dude, that's like my fishing, fishing home base over there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't get me started on fishing. You guys know I get distracted on it. So Ethan's <laughs> going crazy in the background over there, man. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on, man? What can I help you out with? Oh, nothing. We, I, we I, could I, talk. We gonna... could talk fishing all day long, buddy. Because that—that's my. It's... No, I've I, been kicking tires for about two years ago with okay. this realm, but I made a lot of money in twenty one uh, with the hedge funds, um, as an underwriter and. uh just kind of uh, made a lot of money, blew a lot of money, bought some properties in Alabama, and uh, still got a little bit of money in the bank, but it's uh, going quickly. It's burning quickly, and uh, figured I'd uh, jump into this realm with your course again. Yeah, so it's uh, – it's. listen, dude, like just understand this. You and like many people that did it, and uh, trust me, I made a crap load of money over the last few years because it was a lot easier, but you have to – when. So when stuff goes bad, so you ever play a sport? Yeah, hockey, football, all that. So. Uh, okay. So I, I did hockey. I know it's strange in South Florida to do hockey, but um, yeah. my friend used to manage the rink. And because we couldn't afford anything, I worked there as a skate guard. And then like from midnight to three o'clock, we'd pay hockey because hockey's an expensive sport. Very expensive. Yeah. The ice time, the equipment. And um, anyways, you, the one thing you do is – I'm talking about um, sports is when you're screwing something up. So I spent a lot of time. Um, I played somewhat football. I wasn't great at it. I didn't really, like I enjoy the sport, uh, but I always loved wrestling. And whenever I got super fancy or tried something stupid, I got pinned. And I, I sometimes I thought I was a Ric Flair, you know, like that's just so stupid. And somebody would really school me. And my coach always called me in football and wrestling. He's like. He always said, let's go back to basics. When we had a really bad loss, he goes, that's it. We're starting to team all over. Everyone's, every job's open up, and you got to want it, and you're going to have to go get it. And we're just going to do If you can't tackle and you can't block, you can't be on my team. And that's it. And they just go through the fundamentals. And it, to this date, even professional organizations, when the people fall apart, they go, okay, listen, we're just going to go back to basics. Take 1,000 free throws and just shoot. We're going through the mechanics. And even today, I, it drives me crazy. People paid millions of dollars to tackle people, and they're still ramming with their head down or they're grabbing a shoestring. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. The head down. You can't do two-hand touch. And so even the professionals, the highest-paid yeah. people, they have to go, okay, when they, you screw up or you're being questioned, or if your, your integrity is being questioned or your bank account's being questioned, sometimes you got to go, okay, I had a little fun here. i got to go back to basics because – um, go back to what works. And I, by the way, I do this all the time in fishing, man. Like I leave fish to go catch other fish. And then an hour later I go, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. 
Let's go back yeah. to basics. Let's find it. And so I'm telling you, you've had success. That's awesome. By the way, I've spent a lot of ton of money. I've blown a lot of money. And now I went through the next phase after I became a really successful wholesaler. I had to learn how to keep the money. And that's a whole nother job skill that, set. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm kicking myself for now. And I want you to reach <laughs> as far as you can. And there's great influencers out there to help. And I'm talking past the Dave Ramsey and the Susie Ormans. Those are, in my opinion, for the poor people. It's just the truth. Yeah. Pay down your credit. No, no, no. Find ways to just be smart. So there's a lot of people out there that teach you. Um, but most of the time, you have an income problem. You don't have an expense problem. But then you go out and buy boats and beach houses. I've done all this stuff, guys. I'm just telling you, man, that stuff comes and goes. you got to buy assets that pay you the rest of your life. And the beginning of this video is talking about buying properties. It's do you still own those properties in Alabama? Uh, two of four. Uh, I liquidated one in April, and I wish I kept it. It was on four acres. Yeah. And so um, it's it's yeah. you know it's still somewhat of a challenge, and you can see over the yeah. long time how people get tired of them, especially if you're a long distance um, landlord owner. And it's hard. It's hard to own. Like I thought I could buy ten properties, pay them off with the tenants. And boy, I yeah. got my I got my butt kicked on that one. So I'm just here to understand, like you're going through the journey, you're fine with it. 2023 is if you do not stick to the basics, you are going to get killed in wholesale. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually um, I'm, I'm on the phones right now on the ground level with the very, very cold leads with my former broker out of Arizona. Okay. And um, it's been a learning experience just dealing with the, uh, the one in 25 answers then one four will talk to you type thing. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing that. I'm basically like washing dishes right now in this field. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense in that metaphor or that, that comparison. Right. And it's fine. Dude, I, yeah. So it's, and I, I, I'm, I'm loving it because what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. And you'll, you'll, you'll learn. And when, once you master it, then you can absolutely running for it. And just guys, if, if you had major success before and all of a sudden you're lost right now, this is what markets do to correct themselves. And, you can either correct it by leaving the market or you can go back to basics. You're going to do one of the two. You have to decide which one you want to do. Don't be a bit. Dude, I went through this thing, man. Yeah. Uh, you guys know I struggled um, from 2007 to 2009. I literally thought I was going to lose my mind because the market, it not only dropped, my market dropped 70%. There was no handwriting. I'm like, it can't go to zero. And Boy, man, I look back now, the amount of opportunity I left on the table. But by the way, wholesaling was still really prolific. It was. And so many people are like, wholesaling is going to die. You got to try this strategy. I'm telling you guys, that cute little thing like Novation's out there, you're nuts if you do it. Like, I, I'm just telling you, you are basically trying to be a realtor without the license and you're going yeah. to get killed on it. Why would you ever want to do, you guys know, to sell a property for top price, like anything else, a boat, a car, anything like that, the higher the price, the more BS you're going to go through. Inspections, contingencies, appraisals, financing, yeah. and you got to go through realtors and all this other stuff. Why would you ever want to do it? I'm actually in the process of trying to buy a property right now that someone did a novation. They failed. They left the memorandum. They're in the process of possibly being sued because they don't know how to unwind the affidavit. They also didn't earn a power of attorney and the attorney's attacking it. I'm telling you guys, I don't, I'm not opposed to real estate investing. I just want you to do it the right way. And so just what I'm trying to tell you is do not get like all these little, you're going to be sold a pitch and it's going to sound perfect. 
The problem is it's really good for sales for courses, but when you go to operate it, it does not work. Did you guys know right now, and I, I'm just sharing this with you. I got you on here. Um, Novations now are uh, there. All the underwriters talk and there's only so many insurance companies that write title insurance. They already know once they see a uh, affidavit recorded on a property, it's completely red flagged. You're, you're like, I'm just telling you, they're being called. My local title company here in, um, here in Florida is having massive problems with this. And they say they won't insure the titles anymore and they're not going to do them. And I'm just telling you, you're going to see it over and over. But they're the number one course sales now because you guys are paying for it because you think it's going to solve your wholesaling problem. It's going to be shut down. I'm just telling you, when you record yeah. an affidavit, and not only that, you know the gurus are teaching you to record the affidavit like a couple days before the closing. It's completely illegal. You can't do that. It's fraud. That's just yeah. a manipulation of it. So I'm just telling you, don't fall down that trap. You can do what you want. You can get away with a few of them, but as a brand newbie, it is one of the hardest sales, in my opinion. I got to buy a property for 80%. I got to do a power of attorney. I got to record a affidavit. And then um, I have to get a listing agreement signed. Then I have to write a fake contract because I have no intentions of ever closing on that original contract. And then I'm going to use that for leverage to replace that contract. Then I have to explain to the seller why I'm charging 50000 more. And then you got to hope you can walk away with the money with no questions. Good luck. I know you can do it. Is it right? No, it's practicing real estate without a license. Yeah. It's my opinion. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm telling you, my uh, every lawyer I ever talked to is like, I would not touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's you're Yeah, I, I was involved with the company for about two weeks that was trying to do that. And just the... So the, what they won't tell you, you know, there's more yeah. than a... Uh, it's like a 50% failure ratio on innovations are really bad. Yeah. And remember, yeah. when you have to... So let me ask you, what happens when a wholesale deal fails? If you stay within your allotted, let's say if you have a 30-day inspection period and you get out two weeks because you can't find a buyer or like you find something ridiculous, how do you get out of the contract? Just on you cancellation. Yeah. That's it. It's done. Novation, you literally have to go to the courthouse. You have to record another memorandum to unwind it. You have to get it notarized. You have to cancel two contracts. You have to get a power of attorney a revoked. What are you going to do about the listing agreement? It's, it's, it's like endless. So to unwind them, you're literally going to spend hours and you guys are going to try to figure out how to unwind it yourself without the professional services of a broker and a lawyer. And I'm telling you, you're going to get killed on it. Though so I'm just, I don't, so many people think I have something at gurus. I just like, guys, nobody asks any smart questions on ovations. I'm just telling you. Ask your title. So if you don't believe me, ask your local title company and go, hey, if you've heard of the thing like Novations, what's going on? And they're going to go, oh, my God, please don't bring them here. So that's yeah. it, man. So, well, just keep going. Back to the basics is my best advice for you and do yeah. lots of fishing while you're. So what, what is reverse driving for dollars as opposed to driving for dollars? I, I'm trying to still figure out. Reverse out. driving for dollars is when you take like a pre foreclosure list or like a code violation list. You okay. figure out a route and you just put a sticky on the door because. Number one, people have ring cameras and nobody opens the door. And number two, the letter. Okay, so you have a targeted address instead of just going Correct. down. And you just say, hey, uh, listen, I got a quick it... question. And they call. Okay. In the old days, I used to get 30 foreclosures. I would go knock on 30 doors. And uh, it's just exhausting. And then you have you have 30. So the problem with that is you have sometimes 20, 30-minute conversations on people that have no interest in selling their property. And it's kind of rude just to walk away from them. So it's a huge inefficiency of your time. Because yeah. you're only looking for a few people to talk to. So if I have to do 50 doors, I put on 50 notes, two or three of them call me back, and then I whittle it down to one. 
that's just a better use of your time. And today with modern ring cameras and uh, a follower said, listen, a lot of like cities, it's illegal to do that in Port St. Lucie. You can't knock on doors or you can get like a, uh, you can actually get a uh, order to show up to court and it's enforced by the yeah. police department. And p by the way, there's enough Karens on there to call the cops on us. So um, watch out for that. So, okay, man. So let me ask you, how long have you been down in Tavernier for? My dad's been here 30 years. Ah, there you go, man. And so. I stopped by from two days at a time to two years at a time type thing. And uh, Oh, man. I was you are a lucky there. guy, dude. Yeah, he's, 80, he's 85, so hopefully Zach's uh, taking care of you at that age. So it's, that's probably no, that's it. I, I told him, I go, dude, like I – Listen, I would literally own a house in the Keys if it wasn't for like the hurricanes because I've, I've, I've been through multiple ones. There. I have a lot of friends there. I'm actually getting ready to head down there. It's, it's one of my favorite places in the world to be. I just, I, yeah. just in my opinion, I, I, I know it's yeah. changed. It's changed when, a lot. from When are you heading down? Uh, actually, I got a phone call tonight to find out. So uh, in the next two weeks, definitely. Okay. So uh, I love it, man. It's just, to me, it's like everybody has to have a get a getaway. And um, I yeah. like it because it's it's like going to the Caribbean, but like you're still in the United States. So you just like yeah. getting through Miami and stuff's a nightmare and the traffic's a lot worse and it costs a lot more. But I love it, man. What I'm doing, you guys got some of the best, you have the best fishing to me near shore in the United States, period. Yeah. So well, I'm Louisiana is great. Yeah. Yeah. Bud and Mary's I'm, I'm going to be uh, getting a restaurant job too, just because the money's just killer down here. Yeah. So I'll let you guys so, know. Uh, so you guys can stop in for a meal where I'm at. Yeah. So the, uh, wait, say that again. I, I want to get a restaurant job just because the money's off the hook down here from yeah, December. Yeah. Uh, and that's June. what I said. So you, so you have a place yeah. to stay there. So that's awesome. So, uh, yeah. That's awesome, man. We'll definitely have to connect with it. I appreciate it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll be, uh, and... watching this more. So thank you. Okay. Have a good one, man. Okay. I, I got to jump over to Ethan because I got to hear this conversation. Oh, okay. hey, we're on, we're on, we're on, we're on. <laughs> okay, so Rick. What's going Rick? on, man? What's going on, Dude, guys? These, these guys have energy, man, because it's Yo. like – So I talked to you guys earlier in the week, right, with that? Yeah. Yeah, so um, what's going on, man? Like I, I like enthusiastic people. What's going on? Okay, so, I mean, earlier in the week with the code enforcement, that went decent. We didn't get what we wanted, but we also found out there's that there's a 50 worst properties list, so we got that. But anyways, the reason I wanted to join, actually, wait, one more thing. Um, this was a good tip for you guys and your followers. One thing that we did when we we're driving for dollars, anytime we see uh, the city water company uh, roaming around or uh, code enforcement, we stopped them and asked them, you know, where do we get this list? And they pointed us in the right direction. See, dude, that tip right there is worth the entire life. Yep. Yep. I'm going to give you another tip. I went a step further when I was starting out. I used to harass the uh, postman. <laughs> and uh like here's the deal though it worked really well for about six months and then um i got my butt chewed out um, <laughs> i got a uh i got a stern notice from the uh what's a u.s postmaster said it's uh it's a crime to interfere um oh, do you know like you, it, like you gotta understand when it comes to the federal government like when you put a mailbox out in front of a house once you put it in, you know the United States Post Office owns it. You don't. You, you're not allowed to legally even stick your hand in there. All I did is I did it like you, and I love the aggressiveness, not the the just smarts of it. I said, listen, if you ever get like a notice of like a foreclosure, one of those red notes, I go, if you could just like give me a little nod or a wink or like when I come by, maybe give me a list or something. And he's like, yeah. I think I got the guy fired though. So I'm just telling you, like, be careful. Mm -hmm. Like, just don't get people in trouble. These people yeah. change the jobs. But I love it, man. But yeah. 
those are the federal government. I think it's a little more liberal with like uh, utility companies, but it's uh, I got big. And then I found a friend down in Palm Beach that was a, a, a postal carrier delivery mm-hmm. and he did investing and we did some deals together yes. and he came out with a course on how to connect with your mailman. And boy, that got shut down. Like, Whoa, dang. And he goes, hey, here's what you ask him. Here's what you do. And here's how you compensate them. It's completely illegal. I did. I like. I assumed it was, but I didn't put out a course. Yeah. It, so don't listen. Everything's don't, legal till somebody complains. The gurus are going to get a hold of you and go. Listen, I can make you millions of dollars. We'll sell that course. And like when you do it, everybody gets it. A bunch of people get fired, and then you're going to get all these notices about what you're doing is illegal. So, anyways, that was a great tip. I didn't even really think about that. Yeah, they've all been super friendly. They either tell us go to the city hall, or they t- they point us where to go exactly. Yeah. So guys, all you have to do is re- repeat exactly what you did again. Yeah. When you're driving around the, the neighborhoods for dollars and you come across a uh, code enforcement or the water sewer, just stop and ask them, you know, where can we get this list? And they'll yeah. usually point you in the right direction or they'll just tell you go to city hall or the water sewer. Yeah, so, so that's like a $997 course right there. A Google <laughs> that. I'm telling you, you know, like, I, listen, I don't know all the group. I know most of the gurus. I, the gurus are good people, but the problem is they're being coached by people to tell them you can sell anything. And you guys got to start going like calling people to the plate on like this. Do you know there's an entire course and I'm not going to put the dollar amount or tell you where it is on driving for dollars and it ain't cheap. And I'm like, I give you an eight minute video on freeholesling.com. It show you exactly what to do. It's like so simple. Yep. But people pay for this course all the time. I think it's around Probably three to five thousand dollars. Can you imagine? Yeah. Get in your car, put the key in the ignition, turn it, yep. put it in drive, and look for crappy houses. Yep. You want to go get it. It's yep. ridiculous, man. Anyway, yeah, basically, we're following you guys and doing what you guys say. And basically, what we tell our friends and followers is that you want information, follow Rick and Zach. If you want to see uh Someone putting it into action, then you follow us. Ours, our style is more of a vlog, um, you know, us on the road driving for dollars or adventures of driving for dollars. Okay. Well, that it just, but the reality is you can just kind of go out there and do the work, Chloe. And yep. it, it, it's not always fun. And like, just to let you know, like in our business, it's, it's, we do it. It's not sexy. It's not super fun. But I got to tell you, they were some of the best. They are, they are not some, they are the best leads we have because. Most of the times you got to go to a list, you get a list of five or 10,000 people. Then you either got to cold call them, you got to skip trace them. And then you got to find out if there's any motivation. And then sometimes if you just find a crappy house, you go, you just got it. Like nobody just leaves a house sitting like this. You got to go through a lot of drama in the story, but like you cut a lot of time on the list. So if I have a list of 10,000 and you got a list of like 200 of like you saw like ugly houses, you're definitely going to get to them faster than I ever am. Because I got to sort through the entire list. I have to pay a staff and we have to go through all that MCTP with 10,000 people. 200, you can dial it down real quick, right? And that's the name of the game. I can't tell you how many times, I remember we used to buy a probate. I'm like, I, pull, I remember we used to go to the house and look at it, especially when I was training all my acquisitions people. And in the end, when I trained Zach, and I go, look at this house. And you know what my employees say? He goes, I've driven by this house 10 times. I always thought about it. I just assumed I didn't do it. And that's the problem with driving for dollars. Just call. Like I still do it. I go down and visit family uh, in like Broward and Dade County, uh, extreme South Florida. And uh, I have this terrible habit of just taking pictures of everything. And I use my, uh, I use the deal machine app now because it's like, I'm, my eyes are much worse. I'm, I'm a little bit slower, but uh, cause I used to write everything down and now I figured out how to like, 
these damn things, uh, they are smarter than us and they're all going to make us dumb eventually. Yeah. But guys, if I mean, uh, the deal machine is like, uh, woo, I gotta tell you, man, that is a game changer. I was a little bit like surprised in it. And, uh, I questioned it at first, but, um, a lot of people don't know this. Like we spent two years using it in our business to make sure it worked before we would even like tell you guys about it. Cause there's a lot of like BS products out there. You guys know a lot of the stuff's crap. So when you mm -hmm. find the good stuff, you stick with it and that's it. So, so what else is going on? What can I help you out with? So we hopped on here not even 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. um, I made a call to a seller and he accepted my offer and we're kind of just stuck here to be honest. Well, so just, so tell me how you came about them and kind of the short notes on how the deal went down. How'd you find well, the lead? So uh, two days ago, driving for dollars. Yeah, he he actually came out of his house. I was meowing at his cat, and he came out, and I was just talking. Why to him. are you meowing at the cat? <laughs> we were looking at the house across the street, and then the cat was there. And I don't know. He's so do you going. own a cat? No. <laughs> no how do you know how to meow at a cat? Me. I'm sorry. How do you know how to meow at a cat? I don't know. I was like yeah. meow. <laughs> it was, I, but I, it worked. So I have a cat in my house, and I I'm not really i've never been a cat person i have a dog too i love my dog to death and uh sometimes i bring him here to the studio but he's he's a little bit difficult he's big too but like cats man whoo that's a whole nother world buddy dude like they'll tell you when they want to talk to you and so anybody's a cat owner here i'm like learning the dynamics of cats they can be the most awesome pets in the world and some other days it's like get that thing out of my house they're like sometimes i go to pick it up and it just swipes me and blood's pouring down my arm i'm like what did I do? She's like, she doesn't want to be picked up right now. So I do the meow calling, like to try to trick her every now and then, and I'm not very good at it. So I was seeing if you had any tips on it. Okay. So you meowed and you found a deal. Yeah. He, he stepped out the, um, the door and was just talking to us and told us that he had a house right down the road and we went and checked it out and the numbers worked out and I just called him and shot him off and he accepted and he wants us to shoot over a proof of funds, which I already got our cash buyer to send it yeah, to Yeah, check us. this out. Uh, a couple of days before, we were driving for dollars. Um, not around the neighborhood, but we're driving for dollars close by. And we ran into another investor. And we just reached out to him, and he's interested. So we're putting everything together. That's awesome, yeah. dude. So, um, so you have it under contract. And now no, we're, that's that's that we're, we're just winging it. We're going as, I, as we go. Okay. So we want to use your contract, but I just wanted to um, ask you, like, what's the steps of that? Because he said to send <clears throat> the seller said to send us him over the proof of funds, which we're getting and, from that investor. He right. said he'll send it. And then the contract as well. Is there the anything, anything else that we would need to send over? He, uh, a quick question before that. When we send uh, when we get a deal like that, before we talk to send the information or the address to anybody, we should have it under agreement. Right. So they won't steal yeah. it from us. It's it's. I mean, it's a little bit softer now, but that's a good rule because it's not if you get burned, it's when. And it'll usually be your biggest deal ever. Nope. So the trick here is you're going to send over a proof of funds. I get it. It's like your partner. Get that out of the way mm -hmm. because what they're going to. So traditional real estate, mm -hmm. they correlate the proof of funds to the contract. And if they don't match, they're going to start questioning you. So usually mm -hmm. you get the proof of funds. You throw it out of the way first. Okay. Just if that's what you need to do and you don't think anyone's going to poach the deal from you and it's a deal, mm -hmm. I'm assuming it. So if you do the proof of funds, then you do the contract. But if you send them together, it's typically a disaster. That's yeah. what realtors do. Okay. So wait a minute. 
John Smith sent the proof of funds, and then it's like Piranha LLC buying it. What the hell is going on here? And then they'll they'll go further. They'll start looking up your company and go, well, he doesn't own that company. What the hell is going on here? And you create confusion where it doesn't belong. Okay. So your explanation is like, listen, we work with multiple partners. Sometimes we keep them ourselves. It just depends on what we're going to do with the house and how much exactly. work it needs. Yep. So, so a lot of times when people go, well, I don't like an assignable contract. Number one, if they say that they're instructed by a realtor 100% or someone of a legal authority, most real estate contracts are assignable. So you're not doing anything off the cuff. Okay. My explanation on an assignable contract is sometimes I buy it in my company's name. Sometimes I buy it in my partner's name. Sometimes we have to switch it. It has no effect on your deal. You're getting your money one way or the other. So once they know, because everybody's in it, what's in it for me, right? If they mm -hmm. think there's change or you scare them, then they're like, okay, I'm going to get screwed. You have to explain to them. I'm not here for you guys to write contracts and then pull out. You can't fulfill every contract. That just That's how humans work. But understanding, if you send that proof of funds and the contract at the same time, you're going to create issues. So get right. the proof of funds like done out of the way. All right. Okay. So we should take the risk and send them the address and all that. No, just, he's going to send me the proof of funds without the address. Oh, I okay. already explained. I said oh, okay. I'm just real simple. Oh, they can like, send the proof of funds without the address. Yeah. Okay. And, then, and then once you suffice that, then you can decide how you want to uh, put the contract name in. As long as it's assignable, you can sell it to any cash buyer you find. Right. But, and we like, can you understand use... if, you, if you do a proof of funds and your company's contract, I assume you guys are doing it under an LLC or your personal yes. name. Yes. Yeah, my renovation LLC. So you understand how you're going to create confusion with them if he gets those two at the same time. Traditional mm -hmm. real estate does that. You do not want to even like pretend to be that type of person. Just shoot it over. I'll get the contract over you know, later today or tomorrow, depending on the urgency of the deal. It's just, by the way, most sellers, I'm just going to be honest, they don't ask for a proof of funds. If it's a good deal and you're okay with it, then do it. But just make sure you kind of rehearse your explanation because this is where a lot of new wholesalers really like they mess it up. Because okay, they're going to question you. And the mm -hmm. problem is if they put you on the defensive, mm -hmm. it's not a productive conversation. You have to, and you have to have multiple conversations after a few months, you'll figure this out with the greatest of ease. Here's the problem is I don't know your personality types and to tell you word to word what to say, it's going to freak you out. Like you can't, there's you just, you got to go with like, he's worried that you are going to screw him over when they say that, go listen, don't worry. I'm, we're closing. It's just a matter of if I'm closing in my company or my partner's company. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on what kind of work we need to do on the house. Yeah. Tell me. And then I go right to the house. I'm going to go right to the house and get off that contract as fast as I can because I want to assure him I'm here to solve the problem that we talked about buying your house. It's got issues. You want to know hassle sale. I get it. But understanding there are some issues with the house and we have to depend on how much work it needs and how much money we have to put on it to decide how we're going to fund this. You're getting your money. Don't worry about it. Once you do that, they usually go, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If you don't have an answer and you go, uh, I don't know, it's, it's problematic. But this, this is one of the, this is why I tell you guys, you need lots of volume because a lot of people make this mistake off the bat. You only have to make it once and you won't do it again. So <laughs> I'm glad you called because this is an important part and it's hard to yeah. put that in a course going because in most of the time, People are getting more prolific about asking for a proof of funds or a POF. So you just got you just got to kind of overcome it. We teach you how to overcome it. Putting them simultaneous with the contract is challenging. So sometimes you give them the contract first, and then they sign it, and then you wait a few days to do a, a POF <laughs> when you're cash buyers. That's good. 
but do not send them the same day. It creates chaos and confusion. Got right. you. So awesome. I think I'm going to send him over the contract. I wanted to ask. No, we're sending the proof of funds today and then agreement tomorrow. However you want to do it. But you two need yeah, to have a strategy when you do this. Right. And then you'll learn from it. And some yep. people, they'll react strangely to it. They're looking for your vote of, like, you know what you're talking about and your confidence. Mm -hmm. And the problem when mm -hmm. you're new to this, you guys are confident. You're just. You're trying to figure out wholesaling and yep. yeah, the idea is you want to learn and earn. Occasionally you're going to screw a deal up and like, man, I screwed it up. I said the wrong thing. I'm so sorry. Zach screwed up a lot of deals when he started out with me. And I knew it. I'm like, okay, I, it took me, it took me seven years before I decided I can't do this every day. The rest of my life, I was making tons of money and I was a control freak. And then I hired an acquisition manager and I almost had a heart attack. Because the guy couldn't close anything. And then I was spending so much time yeah. training. But I came to the realization, if he could just be 60% as effective of me, this will get better. And so every time you hire someone, you typically, on the sales side, you're going to go backwards before you go forwards. And mm -hmm. it's painful. And we always yeah. want to make progress and, and do better and better. So um, that you just learn as you go. And like, yeah. so let me ask you, how did you two... Um, what what's the correlation between like how do you guys know each other? Well, that's a crazy story. <laughs> um, Give me the short one. We I, met in how jail. How did you guys get together doing real estate wholesaling specifically? We, we met in jail. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, we we'll both got there. a DUI, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, listen, I'm authentic here, and I'm like, so it's uh, that's funny though. I yeah. mean, it's not everything funny, happens for a reason. Everything I didn't crash. None of us. None of us crashed or anything. I just took a red light. I was, I was coming on a Sunday from brunch. So I had a couple of drinks on me and, you know, I, the cop asked me if I had drinks. I said, yeah, and that was it. I, know, I'm uh, not, I, I don't regret it. it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving, yeah, I'm not giving you an intervention. Like yeah. I'm not even, I, I'm the last guy who's going to give it to you. So it's, uh, I'm blessed I, I, that it happened. Cause I met this guy, this guy is stepped up to the plate. Like when I met him he was like, Oh, I want you to uh, be my mentor. Teach me. So I sent him a couple of videos thinking, you know, whatever he's 18, I'm 45. And he watched the videos. He asked me questions. He was interested. And here we are. So he's that's funny because, because I'm 53 and my son's 23. And it's like, yeah. so I had him yeah. when I was 30. And yeah. uh, it's just funny because I actually, I had to learn to open up and listen to a younger generation. Mm -hmm. Because we don't always have it right when we're like, well, the wisdom I have is great. But if you can bring back like uh, my son's like technology and yep. the, like the way he connects and talks to people, it's different and it's unique. I've yep. always been a talker. I always thought uh, like, why do I talk so much? And I had ADHD. I'm just like every teacher said, you, like you're going to get killed on a job. And you know what? After 15 years, I give them all the credit in the world. I was never meant to have a job. I'm, I'm a nightmare to hire me. And by the way, I worked for the same company for 12 years. I gave them my all. And I just said, man, I'm never going to get ahead doing this. And I, that's when I got excited and I started figuring it out. And I just went out to go buy regular real estate to retire me in 10 years. And uh, I go, man, this is, there's no way this is going to work because tenants are a nightmare. And that's how I discovered wholesaling. And then I just went, I go, who wants a couple hundred dollars? Well, it's, it's not passive income. Dude. I, I have rental properties. It's the farthest thing from passive you'll ever do. I have managers and I have to like, I have to give them surprise visits. I constantly ask them for statements and um, I'm constantly hiring and firing. I don't let anybody lay down on their laurels. Otherwise your asset will fall to crap. So I commend you guys. It's a great story, man. I mean, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, but it, it had a positive outcome. Yeah. So uh, I love it. So and, and blessed. Nobody got hurt, you know, just 
minor stuff, you know. So yeah, change no, me uh, for the better. Hey, yeah. listen, every, everybody, dude, you're, you're one of the few people to come out with like a better idea out of that. So a lot of people, uh, you know, repeat it over and over and they're doomed to their mistakes. So uh, I, I love it because everything we do on this channel is like extremely authentic. Like that's what I'm up like. That's what we're about. So um, I have no I you know, whatever. Like, do you, I think that is probably the number one <laughs> reason people get like arrested. Am I correct? Like a DUI mm -hmm. is probably the most common thing in the United States. Nope. Yeah. And all, all my friends have anybody been be caught with. No. And I'm originally well, from listen. Miami, so I partied all the time. So I made there it you go. Far. So you know that you, so, you're at, so you guys are in what PA or no, and Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, okay. Yeah, he's been here. He's a, a, a local. I've been here nine years. I'm originally from Miami. My number's still 305. Awesome. The original, what, what, what's it? It's uh, 305, right? Like that. 305. <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. So, so Rick, <laughs> with, the, with you guys' free contract, is there anything that I'm going to have to change, like change it up a little bit for it to work? No, Atlanta? It's, it's, really, it's really straightforward. Like, you guys got to understand every contract accomplishes the same thing. It's just who wants to shove all the words in there to protect the lawyers, the realtors. And like, I'm going to warn you right now, if people try to chop your contract to the T, you have a difficult seller. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. If you want to sell the property, this vehicle will deliver it. So in your state, um, I forget, is your, uh, do you need an attorney to close? Yeah. Closing attorney. Okay. So in Florida's, Florida's different. So I, I don't really know Atlanta. Actually, I, I flipped a few properties over there, but you need to understand the mechanics of it. So the best thing to do is review the contract with the title company and get their opinion or like a lawyer. The last thing you want to do is have your seller give it to their lawyer for their opinion because they'll eat you alive. It could be the most perfect contract. It's an ego thing with lawyers. This is wrong. 50% of lawyers are wrong every day, right? Someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. That's how the law works. So um, the contract suffice, dude. I've used it over 20 years. Awesome. Like, I, and I'm not a lawyer. I sit with a lawyer and go, hey. So what I do is first I review it with a title company because they're the ones that are going to ultimately yay or nay it because either they're going to insure title or not. That's going to allow you to move forward with the transaction. And number two is if there's something major in there that violates a state statute, which is a possibility because it's hard to satisfy all states, they'll mm -hmm. tell you just fix it. You get it done once. So anything you do in Georgia, you're good to go. And every time yeah. you go to another state, go, hey, is this going to be okay? We constantly have to do this with uh, virtual markets. And I hate it. But I will tell you guys, when you sit there, if you let a seller change one or two things, it will never stop. You lose control of the transaction to go, listen, when they go, well, I need this change. And I had, I just had a deal uh, where I was giving the guy a $10,000 deposit. It's a commercial deal. Don't panic. Okay. <laughs> and we, he got a pissing match with me over the deposit on a deal that was going to close in three weeks. It was like an $800,000 deal. And instead of the 10,000, he wanted 30,000. I go, what do you care? Like it's stupid. And it just kept going on and on. And I just lost it, man. And we found out some other things about the property. I go, I, I, that's fine. I go, you have just asked, like, if you let them push you too much, mm -hmm. they're going to drive you all the way to the closing. So I'm just telling you when all sellers right. start to push, you got to start questioning the motivation. Mm -hmm. And then nine times out of 10, it's either a lawyer, a neighbor or a realtor leaning in their air. And whenever they do that, just go like this. I thought you wanted to sell the property. I thought this was important. Yeah. You told me the property's driving you nuts. I'm trying to get done. Why are we focusing on a, de a deposit? I'm trying to get you all the cash to close it. If I leave you a hundred or a thousand dollars, 
you're not getting the money. It goes to a title company. I want to get it done and just say, listen, if I gave you a thousand dollars, like I, you know, maybe we need to go back and relook at the price. Like I do that all the time with people. Like if they focus on the deposit that has no bearing on the transaction, it means they don't trust you and you have to identify that and go back to them. What is it that's making you uncomfortable guys for probably the first five years? I don't think I ever left a deposit very rarely. Now, I had an advantage back then because it wasn't really known. But the key component is all motivated sellers, they do not focus on deposits. They just know someone, do you know you don't technically even need a deposit on most contractual law? Like it's not, it's not part of the contract. People do it all the time with zero deposit. So when people go, the thing is, it's a trust thing and they don't take you seriously. So we, we go, okay, we're gonna have to start doing $10. I'm like, $10? How the hell am I gonna, I'm not writing a check for $10. <laughs> <laughs> and then we used to take a $10 bill and take a picture of it with the serial number. And that would act as our deposit. And the lawyer goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Just close the deal. Who cares? You technically don't need the deposit. And so just so you know, the deposit's a mental block in your own head. When I have a smoking deal, like they're giving me something 50 cents on a dollar. They ask for a grand. I just give them a grand. Like the deposit's not your money. And if you're going to sign it, you can get your deposit replaced in as little as seven days. So when you do your assignment of contract, you get your deposit back immediately because you are selling your contract. So you need to be um, refunded your deposit amount. Then they take over from there. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. If I have a crappy deal, it's like questionable. And I know I have to get a price reduction, but it's a vacant house and I know it needs to be sold. I'll give you a $50 deposit, $100. I'm not going to give you much more because I don't want to be tied up like with all your shenanigans. Right. Okay, so, so low deposits when you are not, first of all, low deposits when you don't have a lot of money Two low deposits on very shaky deals that you're very concerned about. Like, you don't, you think it's 50, 50 at best. And you got, you got to be pulling back the entire time. When someone goes, listen, I won't do this deal unless you give me a thousand dollars, but they're giving you 50 cents on the dollar, some crazy number. Just do it. Stop fighting with people. Like <laughs> go find a way to go get a thousand dollars. Cause you're getting it back in probably five days. It's not a big deal because the deposit is not the sale price. So many people try to negotiate the deposit. It's a joke. Like it's deposits, nothing. Did you know at one point I bought an entire, um, I outfitted a custom house I had built um, for my family. The entire like uh, roof was uh, the entire Tesla system. I, I took, I did the solar tiles. I did, I did the, uh, the, the batteries, the whole, I mean a crazy amount. It was like $140,000. Do you know how much they asked for a deposit for me? They did all the planning, the permits and everything. It took a year and a half. You know how much I gave it about a hundred bucks. I was going to say 500, <laughs> hundred bucks. Like, are you kidding me? Nice. You're going to do all this for a hundred bucks. And then they told me it's refundable if I don't want to move forward because they believe so much in their product. Now it's, I think it's 500 or a thousand. You used to, be able to do this with a Tesla car. And some people made a lot of money doing this because uh, the pandemic, like, Cause the prices to go through the roof and people were like mm -hmm. five cars you could tie up five cars for a hundred bucks you could use different names they didn't figure out what you're doing i'm just like guys the deposit is a mental thing it's a trust issue mm -hmm. so when they're fighting you on it refocus them and go hey what's the real issue do you not trust me or like what's going on here it's never the money with the deposit the, if you have a final sale price that's it the deposit is irrelevant some believe the deposit shows your commitment exactly that's and what I've heard. Sometimes it's just psychological and you figure it out. So I, you know, we recommend between 100 and 500 bucks. Like occasionally, mm -hmm. 
I'll do a thousand, but I, I've had a deal where I've given a ten thousand dollar deposit on a single family home, but I'm buying it thirty cents on the dollar. I'm like, okay, I go, why don't we just send you all the money? You're like, right? If they run the title, I'll fund it tomorrow because I know I'm going to make a ridiculous return, and that's what you have to understand the most. So, what else? Oh uh, my! I think my last question is on the the contract that you provide. You provide the contract that we uh, give to the seller, have the seller sign, and then you also provide the contract that we have the buyer sign. Correct? You mean the assignment contract? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. So here's the only assignment contract. Do not change it. I'm just going to forewarn you. You cannot change that assignment contract because it's going to put you in a very precarious situation. Hmm. It, it's yeah, set for stone. It's like, so if you have to negotiate your fee and stuff like that's all it, but just try to stick to guys, motivated sellers do not sit there and pick contracts apart. Like retail people do that. Like I've given people retail for their house on personal transactions and they just pick it apart. It's just in their nature. Like it's, it's like mm -hmm. a Karen. It's like, uh, I, yeah. the needs to be 10,000, not 7,500. What's the big deal? Like it, it's such a minor amount. Is that going to stop you from doing the deal? And so I do have an issue when I'm doing a big purchase and somebody wants to sit there and focus on the deposit. It means they're going to be difficult with me for the rest of my life. And the person I was buying the house, they were doing a note for like a couple hundred thousand. We were putting over like half a million bucks and he just wanted to pick the deposit apart. I go, man, I don't want this man. Like he's going to drive my employees nuts. And that's where I says, Hey, so you have to understand you have to hit. Sometimes you hit a wall. And the problem is if you keep complying to motivated sellers, you're going to have to do it all the way to the closing table. So it's okay to go, listen, I just can't, I'm sorry, I can't do that. This is the offer. Um, we think it's fair. You said you want to get the house sold. Let's focus on getting this done. Let's not pick on the little things that are really not going to have any bearing on the final outcome of the transaction and try to do the right thing. But guys, if you have an iffy deal, don't push it. Do a zero or a very tiny deposit and, and tell them, listen, I got reservations. I'm not sure what you say is adding up. I'm going to have to go in and really inspect it. Maybe you're inspecting it. Maybe your partner's a contractor. And he goes, you told me the roof's good, but like the, the last permit was 18 years ago and there's stains on the ceiling. So that's a $20,000 job, but I got to take that price off if I bring somebody out there and it's not good. I know it's not good. I know I'm going to try to go for the reduction, but- the house is vacant and it's a perfect opportunity for wholesaling. I will write the contract, but I'm going to let the seller know, like I'm not happy about the price and we're going to really pick it apart. And if your stuff doesn't match up, it says I'm going in for an instant reduction, small deposits. Cause that way you don't waste a lot of time. I always have a dozen of those contracts out because very few of them like go forward, but eventually I know they have to sell. And if they know that like I'm a legitimate buyer, eventually they come to their senses and they sell it to me for the right price. So I like motivated houses. Sometimes motivated houses have unmotivated sellers and it's frustrating to me. Mm -hmm. Like you see people all the time with like trashed house stuff. Like they, I go, you don't even understand what you're like. You're asking retail and you need a hundred grand worth of work on your house. Like, yep. Yeah. We had a lady I, with that same situation. Yeah. The, the market is so instead of like, instead of you beating your head against the door, either you try the contract, you try to convince them with a third party, a contractor or an inspector, or you get out of the contract. You wish them the best. Go, listen, if something doesn't work out, give me a call back. I'm still interested, but I, I think we need to make some changes on the price. You have to let them take it to the market, and the market will discipline them. They take it will. It'll be brutal, man. And especially if you mm -hmm. give it to a realtor, and you'll get eaten alive, man. <laughs> I, I've done picture-perfect properties when I used to do fix and flip, and 
dude, they come in with like a white glove, yep. like there's mm -hmm. a drop of paint here. And then you clip it off with your fingernail. Like what else you got? There's a dent in the drywall. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll have my handyman fix it. It's like, find the major stuff and let's move on with her life. So just understand when they, uh, when it comes to your contract, your contract will suffice them buying the prop, you buying the property, them getting funded and you getting uh, the, the end buyer, the cash buyer, getting the title insurance they need. You can do it in one page. Ours is uh, one and a half, I think two pages um, or uh, like a Florida uh, realtor contract is now 21 pages. It does oh. the exact same thing. Save a tree. And by the way, no, all they do is read the first two pages and the last. Nobody reads in the middle anymore. It's all cookie cut boilerplate. And to be honest with you, it's all about like what happens if the deal doesn't work out? Who gets sued? And the reality on a far bar, on, in Florida, we call it a far bar contract. You have to go to mediation for like three months before you can even consider going to court. Our contracts don't do any of that stuff. Our contracts basically say if the deal doesn't work out, you keep the deposit for uh, damages. That's it. You move on. It really protects you. If you start changing the contract, you start to go in your own risk. I'm mm -hmm. not a lawyer. I tell you, everyone, you guys got to run it by a title and a lawyer to make sure you're doing it. But for the most part, sellers listen to your verbal agreement much more than they do the writing. And if they don't match up, then the pain comes. If you lie to people, like it's a problem. So whatever you say verbally, make sure it's in your paperwork. And that's, that's how you protect yourself. That's how you do it. And that's how a seller is going to hold you accountable. It's how your title company is going to hold you accountable. And the minute the seller starts to change their terms, you got to go, wait a minute, we had an agreement. And if they're confused, then you can go over the paperwork. This is what we agreed to. And they'll say, no, you did this. I've had an agreement signed and they go, I didn't know. I didn't know I had to move out in 30 days. I'm like, ah, and then I have to work through them and get it through it. So remember from the contract, to the end, it's a entire babysitting process. Some need more babysitting than others. You have to determine which ones need that. So you guys are well on your way. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to make mistakes along the way. It's just don't beat yourself up about it. It's you're alive. You're above earth. Mm -hmm. You're free. Try to rectify it. And sometimes deals fall apart. Just go find another one. Yeah, trust the process. We appreciate you guys. It. Yeah. So like I lose Thank deals you. all the time, guys. Like it's just some deals just aren't meant to be. And sometimes when a deal doesn't work out, people are doing you a huge favor. Mm -hmm. I had a deal. Quick story. I'll let you go. Yeah, no problem. I had a deal um, that I was going to sell retail because it was a really ugly, odd looking house that had mold in it. So I had a company come in and remediate it. I got this from an expired listing. The realtor's like, I can't sell it. I'm like, oh, well, obviously you need to wholesale it. So I bought it. They left a huge margin in it for me. And then I tried to retail. It. I couldn't sell it. Like it had just, it had, they go, listen, and do it correctly. You have to break the whole thing down. You got to redo the roof. I'm like, oh, crap. So I wind up wholesaling it. I took a quick 10 grand and moved on with my life. Okay. The guy I sold it to, he goes, oh, I'm going to sell it for like retail. The whole, I go, listen, um, my title company made him sell a disclosure. These are the facts of the house. It's got issues. You had to pull the trusses and the roof off. So you appreciate what that takes. Nope. Cause the guy built the house by hand. By hand. Yeah, he built the house. He took like four years. He's like an old schooler back in the 70s. And it looks, oh, okay. it looks like a military base, a small, like it's, it's, hmm. it's very ugly. There's no architectural. <laughs> and then here's the really cool part is he, uh, he took six months, fixed it up. He, he, he did it, but he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And then he charged a huge premium. He made like $130,000 profit. Well, 
the house got flooded. Everything got ruined. He did beautiful fixtures, but he didn't fix what, why, how all the moisture was coming in. So um, they filed a lawsuit. They called me. They go, uh, you know, Mr. Gim, we, we need to bring you in uh, for a, a deposition. I go, okay, I sold it. So I pulled out all my documents. I go, listen, I wholesaled it. It was cash. I disclosed the problem. And they go, he said, you never said that. I go, here's the document. <laughs> they deposed the, uh, the uh, title company agent. She's like, yeah, we knew it. He tried it. And I go, listen, I knew it was a problem. We even marked it in MLS. He sold it. Um, he got taken down for the whole thing. All damages. Um, the seller got all their money back. And the, uh, so the, what happens is title insurance now, they sued him for fraud. And they go after him. Uh, it's civil. But they put a judgment against him. And it, it was crazy. And when you do stuff like that, it's... It's insane. But what happened is I, I had a problem that I couldn't solve, but I solved it as a wholesaler. I, I so I was told he goes, man, you make 150 grand. I go, oh. I go, I don't know, man. Like they can't solve this problem. And so my guy tried it. He goes, I, I, I've tried everything. We can't do it. So we tried selling it, disclosing it on MLS. Like, no, no, no. Everyone's like, you got to fix it. And so I gave it away. And the guy goes, screw that. I'll just fix it myself. And he did oh, it. He sold it for retail, beautiful furnishings, everything. But he didn't put like the 80 grand where it was supposed to go. He put it all in the cosmetics and it all got flooded out. And can you imagine the homeowner? And for that reason, it's like sometimes, guys, you got to take projects that don't work as a wholesaler and go, listen, I'm going to sell it to you. But here's the problem with it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make some money. But like you're on the hook after that. So the beauty of real estate, once you sell it, you're done. So it's, it's so funny. Like, I don't even know how I got to telling you that story. I just thought it was uh I've seen everything like you have to be brutally honest in this business, because if you think you're going to take a shortcut to make a bunch of money, I promise you it will come up and blow up in your face. And I had to learn a lot of lessons when I was young. I got sued multiple times for stupid stuff. And I'm like, eh, no one's ever going to say anything. And then it, it, like, it cost me three times the amount with the attorney. So whenever your gut feeling feels like something's wrong, just go raise your hand, talk, especially amongst yourselves and go, listen, there's something wrong here. And Zach's really good. He'll tell me because, man, there's something wrong. We've had people show up to um, closings completely like um, on something. <laughs> like, what the hell is going on here? I'm like, uh, so we learned. So we had to take the same lady to a closing four times. And we Whoa. learned um, we had to do the closing at eight o'clock in the morning because like the bottle started at like nine. We could figure it out. <laughs> I go, we got to catch her. But mm -hmm. her true intention was to sell the house. Now I'm not. And then I got questioned by the title company. Is, is she of sound mind? I go, dude, I don't even know if I'm of sound mind sometimes. Like <laughs> I go, she's sound yeah. mind. She wants to sell the house. You've authorized her identity. She's sober. Let's move forward. And that's how she wanted to sell it. Sometimes people have problems. I can't fix it for you. I can only fix your symptom, which is the problem real estate. And that's what you guys mm -hmm. are to focus on. Dude, it's a fun journey. I love wholesaling. There's so many things you can do. And uh, you guys are on your way. So just keep doing it. You know where to connect with us, okay? Yes, All right. Thank you, Rick. Awesome, guys. See ya. Tom, you there? I am. You hear me? Yeah, man. How you doing? Um, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I can uh, follow the, that, that pair. That, that no, no. Nice they're, uh, they're, they're <laughs> Boy, that story came out of like, I go, man, how'd you guys meet thinking like, I, it's it's really cool though. Like the, the thing is, there's always a silver lining when sometimes crap goes wrong in your life, and uh, that's this business is no different than like any other nah. business. Like some of my best friends are from like real estate deals I did, and like um, you ever know like uh, 
they always say you can determine the measure of a man or a woman, not when everything's going good, but like when the crap hits the fan and boy, I've had that happen to me. And some of my closest allies, the people I work with in this business or were there when like, there was a lot of like doubt being casted on like techniques we were doing and stuff like I've always pushed the envelope and I've learned as I've gotten older, like, okay, here's my deal. If I have to sit in front of a judge and explain what I was doing and I can't explain it, I will not do it because I've been in that position. And as an investor, you are raised on an upper platform because you are considered an expert. And if you ever try to take advantage of someone or you disclose a material fact, even though we're not realtors, we're not lawyers, we're still, the judge always says, what was your intent, Rick? And that's the whole point of most court cases. They're always looking for what the person's true intent is. And they look at the facts and sometimes you can be doing the right thing and uh, it still doesn't fly. So anyways, what's going on with you, man? What can I help you out with? Well, um, I've had some uh, success with uh, wholesale lease options in the past. Okay. And I'm wondering this great uh, presentation that you had earlier. I'm wondering if we're going into a market where that would be a good vehicle with what you spoke about today, the tired landlords. A hundred percent. So we haven't had a market like, like that's coming up. Listen, you all know it's coming up. Like we're already here. What most people understand is we're just on the, like you ever see like a snow capped mountain, like the little tippy tops covered in snow, maybe in July. Yes. We're, we're just on the backside of the top of that mountain, man. I I've been through this ride. Um, no rides the exact same, but, um, I just, uh, I just did a video on my, um, 2023 outlook and I'll sum it up for you right now. And you can find it on my channel on Rick Ginn on YouTube is, um, prices are definitely going down. Mortgage rates are going to continue to rise. And I think our government's going to struggle with getting inflation under control because we've had six rate increases and we've barely like We've barely 7.7. They need to get to two. Do you know how hard that's going to be to do? And they are dead set. They have put everything on 2% inflation to get the 2% inflation stuff has to break. The employment has to break. It has to. And what happens is employment's at like 3.9. It, it's got to go, in my opinion, close to five to get there. Do you know how many uh, people go? Well, that's a small number. I go, that puts a lot of good Americans out of work. And good Americans Absolutely. own houses, and that's where all the problems. But here's what happens. When employment starts to go up, it, it's like a virus. It explodes. It, you, you can't stop it. And then they do the opposite, and they try to bring reemployment back. And that's even harder. But like, if you're fighting inflation, if they have to fight inflation in a high unemployment, I don't know what tools you use to do that. Because they, like, you have to work two knobs at the same time. And our government can barely work one. And, um, I love our IRS. I think they're the greatest. So, uh, but the rest of the government, they're, they're completely clueless. And I say that for my own protection. So it's just, <laughs> it's nuts what's going on. So you are right on. So any type of creative financing opportunity, lease options, owner financing subject to wide open. What I don't want you to do is go like, I'm going to master creative finance. Cause here's the problem with most creative financing, especially in the last four or five years. You guys pay top dollar prices. So what's the attractive part of creative financing? People go, well, you don't have to compete with wholesalers because you just pay them retail price. Well, that can backfire on you too. I'm a strong proponent. I love lease options. And lease options is just a real simple technique. I'm not even like go over it in detail. 
but it's just, it's you, you're taking over property and just taking over someone else's headache and making money do it. The key with lease options, you make money from what? Day one. So could, if you bought five properties, you had to give everybody 10 or 20 grand. How long are you going to last doing that? Unless you're playing with someone else's money. Most of us are playing with our own money. So I'm only going to do creative financing when I can make money from day one. And if you do not take this strategy, especially in the beginning, you're going to have challenges because how many houses can you buy without making money before you got to go back to work? So um, that's the problem. I love lease options because if I give a uh, owner $3,000 as an option and then I take a $10,000 payment, I'm walking away with basically a $7,000 assignment plus the monthly cash flow. Why not do it? And then you add, you've got the end option on it. But the problem is a lot of creative financing is people, there are, it's really hard to teach a creative financing course. Why? Because it takes experience. It takes time. So you've done lease options before, right? Uh, well, the, the wholesale lease options, uh, yeah. where I have not stayed in the middle. So, yeah. uh, but it takes, uh, it takes some learning, right? It takes one, a lot of yeah, time. Absolutely. absolutely. So I started out wholesaling. And then I started learning all these other strategies while I was wholesaling, making money. And then occasionally I would buy a house subject to, but even when I bought a house subject to the ones I put down a giant down payment, I got my butt kicked on because I didn't know what I was doing. And the ones I put down little to nothing, I still own today because I can survive in any market. And as long as it's paying me, it's not a liability to me. But if I learn a strategy where I can give a homeowner like 15 grand and then I'm going to rent it out or I can get say five grand from a, because I got to do a, 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 some sort of lease on it. That means you're five, 10 grand in the hole when you start. It's going to take you five years to dig out of that hole. Absolutely. And then what if you have to sell it and get rid of it? What if you owe 250 on it and the market only dictates 200? What are you going to do? You got to give that property back to the owner. You know how difficult of a conversation that is. Yep. So I suggest you have to go in from day one where you made money so you don't have to let it go. And guys, I gave three properties back in creative financing. That's why I don't, now I did it at the peak of the market and then drop off. What are we going? We're just coming off the peak of the market and it's going down. So a lot of people are going to be exposed. The people that did Airbnb and short-term rentals, they're going to get destroyed, destroyed. And that is one of your opportunities right there, Tom. I'm telling you right now, the short-term rentals beyond saturated. It's way oversaturated. It's way over leveraged and the demand is dropping significantly. So go, go look at the earnings report for uh, Airbnb. It reads like a horror story. Absolutely. Their stock's down 59% and we've just started and they don't know how they're going to make revenue for the next two years. So people don't travel as much and, um, when the economy shrinks. And the challenge is you got all these short-term rentals out there. People cut back. Even rich people cut back because they, they want to take their cash to buy other opportunities. So what do you do with all these short-term rentals? We have a, I, I think, I forgot what they said, the market percentage. I think 10% of the U.S. real estate market is short-term rentals. That's insane. It should be like 1% or 2%. And then what happened is uh, we, we, let me show you how to get super rich doing Airbnb. So Guru sold courses on it. And they go, listen, instead of getting 2000 a month, I'll show you how to get 10000 a month. I'm like, oh, please show me. <laughs> In my opinion, short-term rentals, at least destination, Airbnb, VRBO should be for destination vacation. I'm going to the Keys. I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, some exotic location. I'm going to Hawaii, something beachfront. Maybe it's got a mountain, a stream. You're probably going to work just fine on that. But 
Now in Port St. Lucie, they're renting rooms out room to room for $150 a month. It's like, it's a disaster. And then they're passing all these laws to ban it because it's come such a problem because people go, well, now you can pay 300,000 for that Port St. Lucie house because you're going to generate 6,000 a month when it only gets 2000 a month on a regular rental. All those people are coming home to roost. It's going to be a disaster. In my opinion, it's going to be really bad. Those in particular, the higher end homes, I'm not talking about those because those owners can withstand it and they'll survive it. But when you start renting home rooms out in your home to make money, Oh my God, like you got to be kidding me. So I, I think, I think short-term rentals are going to have a huge hiccup. So their cash flow is going to go down. And what's the one common denominator on these houses. And you got to be aware of this too, when doing lease options, the cost of real estate to run and operate is gone up significantly. Um, the cost of insurance in Florida, it's outrageous. And they're getting ready to um, meet in Tallahassee to try to address it. It's so bad. Um, 83% of the um, roof claims all come from Florida. I'd like to tell you it's from a hurricane. No, it's from um, lawyers and roofers taking advantage of the insurance system. They do it all the time. They'll knock on your door and go, hey, listen, I can get you a new roof. I get pitched 10 times a month. That's how bad it is. It's such a scam. And then they're taking home $15,000, $20,000 like, commission checks. So they're actually flipping houses by doing this stuff. So the only thing you got to watch is just your cost of operation, operating these things, insurance. Um, the property taxes are pretty high because the values went up. So if you can make the numbers and get positive cash flow from day one, make it monthly and then make it in, go for it, man. And I think it's going to get ripe. I will tell you this though, be a little bit patient because, um, the best timing is probably going to come by next summer. If you want to time it for lease options, um, if a subject two comes up, that's you subject two is just kind of fall in your lap when you do wholesaling, like a deal doesn't work out and someone goes, yeah, but I got a mortgage of three and a half percent and I'm year mm. four into it. You might be able to be close to retail if the numbers work, the cash, because the, the cash flow numbers might work because that mortgage is an asset in today's market. So, um, I, the thing is, you don't like a lot of people think, oh, I got to go out and like do this super training and. Listen, I'm not opposed to anybody like getting proper training, but um, I, how are you going to make money doing creative finance? Because most of the courses teach you how to buy them and make money in the long run. But what are you going to do for the next five years until those um, things happen with it? And that's the challenge with it. Every now and then you can make some quick money on like a creative financing. But if you're doing it like while they're teaching the courses, their success is based on how many properties you buy. Just because you buy a creative financing doesn't mean you made money. If you make money from day one, you won. But if you paid money, that's what we call like an operating loss. I know it shows on the balance sheet differently, but in my opinion, you better make sure your cash flow positive from day one on any creative financing you do, unless you're very advanced and you know what you're doing. So I've been doing this 20 years. I can leave a 10 or $20,000 downstroke. And if I have a long-term play for the property, I'm fine with it. I would never teach you guys how to do it. That's why I don't teach you how to do it because- it took me years to learn that art of that conversation. It's very hard to teach a newbie like how to do it, all the pitfalls you got to watch for. So I like lease options because they're actually very simplistic in my opinion. Very simple. It's a lease, which is a rental contract and an option agreement. It's, cl it's clean. It's easy to explain. And the most important part is it's legal. The, so. the, the model that I've done, uh, and I've only done a handful of these. It's yeah. just it's the way it's worked out. Uh, is uh i don't know 85 90 percent of of the retail value uh then i'll collect the um uh, and, and and i uh explain to the uh 
the homeowner that, hey, I can get you a tenant buyer in there uh, with, with you paying no maintenance, them paying the everyday maintenance. Uh, just allow them to allow me to uh, to lease it for a couple of years yeah. until they're ready to buy. And, and, and I will have them pre-qualified. Uh, and that, that's where, yeah, and that's where the, the, the tired landlord strategy comes in like the play. So like most of those I take over like that, they're like, listen, I just need someone who will make the payments and not hassle me for every little thing and then cash me out when you say you're going to cash it out. That's typically what the conversation in a nutshell is a little bit longer than that, but that's what they care about it. What's in it for them. So I love it. It's guys, I'm telling you, lease options. It's not a really advanced strategy. And we actually show you the simplistic of doing it. It's a simple, simple conversation. It's clean. Sometimes it works highly effective and smoking markets can be challenged. My only, the only thing I like to do on any type of creative financing deal, especially as lease options is I want clean properties because I don't want to put a ton of money into them up front because a ton of money costs you time, not only money, but time. And then you don't have time. That means someone's not getting in the property and somebody has to pay the bills if it takes you two months to get a property up, you got to pay for it. And that's two months of rent or having a tenant buyer in there that you can't capitalize on. And usually when it needs a lot of repairs, it throws all your numbers out of the whack. So if the property needs 25 grand worth of repairs, right? And then the guy wants another like $10,000 to take it over. So that's $35,000 you got to commit to. And that's my challenge with it. So it's like, I don't like to do those types of deals. There's, there's better ways to do it. And Guys, my whole focus here is to get you excited, get you started in wholesaling, take the fear out of it. And then once you get some experience on your belt, so many windows open in your life. And it doesn't matter when you started. You started when you're 15, you can do it when you're 90. I don't give a crap. I waited till I was 34 because I woke up and go, there's got to be a better way than life than this. So I, it, it doesn't matter. And the beauty of like wholesaling, creative finance, all that, you could be confined to a wheelchair. You could have every disability in the world and you can still do this job. And that's why I love it because it does give you freedom for what you want to do. And then if you, if you put in the hard work and stuff, as you get down the line, you can actually, you can take the foot off the gas if you decide to do that, but don't do it now. 2023 is, I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity. So I love the lease options. They're, they're very straightforward. Um, and uh, I would definitely use that. So I love it. All right. Oh, okay, man. I appreciate it, Tom. Call me back if you yeah. need anything. Okay. Give a Merry Christmas. See ya. Thank you. Miles, you there? Yes, I am. How you doing, man? Pretty good. How are you? Good. What's uh, what's on your app? Oh, that's a motorcycle. I see that, man. Yeah, that's my current motorcycle. <laughs> what kind of motorcycle is that? Uh, 2015 Yamaha V Star 1300. Ooh, you got detailed there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a well, car guy, so when I talk about my vehicles, I give detail <laughs> i do that like if you get into a like a boat conversation with me it's going to be a long conversation man so it's like um, yeah. like boats are like my passion and like fishing and it's like I, I but i do love cars i do love motorcycles but uh i'm you probably don't want me on a motorcycle because me <laughs> shifting your clutch is probably gonna be the last time you use it so what's going on man what can i help you out with so i have a couple questions so I talked to Zach a couple weeks ago about driving for dollars and stuff. And so I started doing that. Well, now I've started getting into some of the government lists uh -huh. and they're giving me the run around getting government lists. And I finally figured out who I need to talk to, but I finally got a probate list, but on the probate list, the list they gave me, it only gives me 
the case title and the case number and then the judge that presided over it. And then if it was granted or not, mm-hmm. it doesn't give me any other information. So okay. how do I go about finding information on that so I can skip trace it and all that? So here's the challenge I have. We have over 3,500 counties and every one of them operate yeah. independently, uniquely, and somehow they don't share a, a ton of information because I have three counties that surround me and I don't think they talk to each other because it's, it's yeah. such a nightmare and it's very hard for us to, and I've been doing this 20 years. It's like such a pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie to you. That's the first problem. So I can't give you detailed instructions. I can just give you general information. Yeah. I'm not doing it to be vague. It's just, I, unless I come to your County, I can't give you exact instructions. Yeah, of course. Okay. Number two, um, you've realized that you overcome the resistance with persistence part. Um, and number three, probably the easiest, are you doing this locally or virtually local? So the fact that you're being local, have you actually gone into your um, County courthouse? Yes, that's how I got the list. I actually went in and talked to him. Okay. So the only advice I can give you is sometimes, so like the two gentlemen we talked to earlier, like they figured out how to um, talk to like the guy who shuts off the water, like on the street level. He goes, hey, how do I get this list? Because they tried to get the list the other way and they couldn't get it. Yeah. They basically kind of back end an employee and goes, hey, how do I get this? Employee goes, hey, just do this, ask for this, go from there. And they got it. Okay. So you're going to have to do a little bit of this. So like, so in the County courthouse, you should have a probate division, a probate courthouse. And there's usually like a receptionist. They, they call them something like fancy. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Sometimes like just having a, just a really easy conversation and like using your rapport building skills, like you would with a motivated seller, they will like, if you penetrate their barrier, they'll tell you how to do it. Like it's not rocket science. Now I will tell you, I've had counties where, I had to strike agreements with attorneys I did business with and title companies because sometimes they only want people with a law license or a title, um, a title company to get access to that information. So okay. in the state of Florida, they call it the benchmark. And it's nothing more than a software program where only attorneys and the correct people can get access to it. So in some extreme cases, I had to partner up and just come up with a crazy compensation plan to make that work to get access to them. Um, so explore all your options, but if you can get somebody in house to explain it to you, okay. you reverse engineer on how to get it because you're, they're doing it to discourage you. Like it's yeah. stupid. It should be public yeah. record. Somebody passed away. Like, how do I get like, okay, here's the probates. I satisfied you. It's not much good because I guess you could technically now if the, do they have a case number on them? Yeah, so I have a case number, and I went to the district court website. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm in Utah, and this is for Weber County. And uh, so that's Ogden. It's a little north of Salt Lake. Um, and I put that case number in every search on their website that I can find, and I'm not getting any results because their website is terrible. They're, they're just blocking it from you. As I said, you're going to have to use an in-house person and you're just going to have to okay. reverse engineer it. Like I, I just, you're just going to have to keep working and keep problem solving and keep getting it. That, that they have the information is the question yeah. of how they're going to share it with you. That's it. Yeah. Um, so on the case title, it says in the state of such and such, can I use that name to skip trace or is that not going to get me results? So like for instance, one's in the matter of the state of uh, Brent Charles Tippett's. Can I use that Brent Charles Tippett's to skip trace? 
or is that going to be just worthless to you, do? You need to get the skip trace on the personal representative or the executor because okay. that that's the deceased person most likely. Yes. So you need to find out who the, the petition there's a petitioner, which is usually the uh, the attorney, and then there's a uh, PR or an executor. That's the key person you need to get in contact with. Okay. You just got to get that information and go from there. Okay. So just try and get someone in there to give me actual information. I'll just ask them nicely. Like, yeah. how yeah. can I do this? Because I don't want to keep driving you nuts. So you're going to have to use some charm and yeah. rapport building skills, just like you with a motivated seller. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I had one other question. Um, I've watched your tile company video a few weeks ago and I could probably go back and watch it and answer this. But when I'm going in and uh, talking to this, these title companies and basically interviewing the title companies, I've had several that say, yes, we work with wholesalers. A lot of our businesses, wholesalers and investors. And then I get to where I'm showing them my contract to see if they'll work with my contract. Mm -hmm. And every single one of them says, Oh, we only work with the rep C contract, which is our real estate realtor contract. No, it's, so what state are you in again? Utah. And and I, I after they so I you're telling that, me every investor has to use that contract. That's what all these title companies are telling me. And so when I ran to that, I actually went and talked to a real estate lawyer, mm -hmm. and he's like, "No, your contract's fine. You, yeah, all that, you that, really need is an email that, saying that's just that. that's just their policy." And I, yeah. I can't, I don't really have, you can't make them do it, but that's ridiculous because. You have rights. Yeah. Like it's spelled out in our country. I don't know if you like, I don't need to tell you how to do all this yeah. stuff, but it's, that's, that's just a policy. And unfortunately you can't make a company do something they don't want to do. So, yeah. so I do make a decision. Now I will tell you, if you have a really good deal and you want to work with them and they help you with assignments, you can do any deal with a regular contract. It's just more of a pain in the butt. Yeah. I did find one title company that will work with my contract, but they've yeah. never done anything with wholesalers. Well, then you just, you just got to, if they recognize your um, right to assign the contract, that's all you really technically need as long as yeah. they'll insure it. So yeah, I, I just remember you, in your video that you yeah, said that you want them to you have really some do because it, those you're going to make a mistake with a contract because you're not familiar with that long length contract and so yeah. get you on a technicality. With our contract, it's transparent. If you walk away in worst case scenario, like you just lose your deposit and you move on with your life. You can't yeah. go back and be sued for damages. So I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving you legal yeah, advice. Yeah, of course. Talk to that company. You just want to be legal upfront and recognize your right to assign the contract. That's all you really need. Okay, and if so they're hoping to doing that and they'll ensure the contract, then give them a shot. Who cares? Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's all I had. Okay, Miles. I'll talk to you. So, okay, guys, that is it. I will see you um, later in the week. Guys, check me out on my YouTube channel, Rick Ginn. Check out my son's YouTube channel, Zach Ginn, and I'll see you guys online, Wholesaling Houses for Real. Make sure you visit us there on Facebook. You guys have an incredible weekend, and go out there and get some deals. I appreciate you.